The next two faculty cases were presented by Dr. Fonseca. So this is a 63-year-old male who presented to us with very aggressive myeloma initially because of the plasma cytosis she presented and the disease that was causing a nerve palsy. And initially, no little lesions were identified, which of course, you know, in my mind, is something I always take as worrisome because so occasionally we might see this extensive disease and no little bone lesions in some of the more aggressive variants of the disease. And we had a chance to actually participate early on in the care of this patient, but Without having all of the information from the get-go, I had the concern that this patient actually would be a high-risk patient. What about the use of bertezomib, particularly with your seeing him as high-risk, you know, and the issue of the nerve palsy, the sixth nerve palsy that the patient had? It looks like most people, that really doesn't phase them, and they would still use bortezomib. Do we know anything about using bortezomib in patients with cranial nerve palsies? I don't think we do, but part of the issue was, I guess, rapid cytoreduction. So it's interesting. I have not seen actually toxicity with regards to development of nerve pulses. I presume they are possible or maybe even have been reported, but it's not a common thing. But I think most people felt, as the way I'm reading the survey, that they had to quickly control the disease, and they probably went with bortezomib in this particular patient for that reason alone. The patient received one cycle of therapy elsewhere, and then you know, comes to see us, so we're the second oncology team, and he did have a very dramatic response to the first cycle of treatment. So we didn't have the opportunity of doing the genetic testing. There were not enough plasma cells. We tried, but there were not enough plasma cells to actually do the genetic study. So despite that, we have assumed since that without the specifics that he probably had a more high-risk variant of myeloma. Okay, so the patient got one cycle of bortezomib dexamethasone from someone else, then came to you. What did you do? So then we continued the patient on therapy, you know, obviously with such a good response, we continued the patient on therapy with a bortezomib combination. And also we provided him with radiation therapy to the base of the skull. Our radiation oncologist felt this could be done safely within our field so that, you know, the patient actually did very well over the matter of the next several weeks to months. He had complete resolution of the palsy. So that actually, you know, allowed him to resume more more normal life. He was a very active individual involved in consulting before. And then he goes on to complete six cycles of bortezomib dexamethasone treatment. So I guess we presented that to the survey respondents and said, what would you do? Almost all the investigators would send the patient for transplant. Most of the docs in practice, what actually did you do? Yes, so we actually offered, because of the young age of the patient and the lack of added information, we we did offer him an autologous stem cell transplant, which he actually completed quite successfully and had no major problems with toxicity. What's his current situation? So actually, the patient did very well. You know, post-stem cell transplant, he had a complete response, and he actually did very well. In this particular instance, he was actually not placed on maintenance treatment. He was being monitored. But a year after the transplant, then he subsequently developed a pathologic fracture for which he actually required a surgical correction, a femur pathologic fracture. So he required surgical correction. And since then, he has been placed on lenalidomide maintenance. I think so far it seems to be quite reasonably well controlled. Just to pick up, though, on the post-transplant situation, we asked, would, assuming the patients attain the CR, would you use maintenance therapy? And it was kind of split there, you know, about 50-50. What went into your thinking, and would you do the same thing today? You know, today I would probably have placed a patient on lenalidomide maintenance, but we didn't do that at the time. I see that there's a good number of people here who would put the patient on bortezomib maintenance. 
of some sort, which would be reasonable given his good response initially. It's actually a little bit surprising. I think what this part of the survey tells you is that people are thinking the same thing, that despite the lack of genetic studies, this patient has iris disease because the spike in the number of people who would use bortezomib is pretty evident. Certainly for the CI group, although it's a small group, you know, it's one-on-one, I guess that I had forgotten that, it's just one-on-one patient, one-on-one doctor, but, you know, people think it's high risk and therefore that's why maintenance would be considered with bortezomib. What about your 65-year-old man who came to you about whether to have a transplant? So this is a 65-year-old man. He's been treated by the local oncologist, and he receives uh, propylar DS induction therapy for his myeloma. And this is a patient who really comes to us after three cycles for a second opinion. But the primary reason for the consultation was for consideration of an autologous stem cell transplant. And now this is occurring at a time when I think we have the first set of reports coming out from the French that suggests that the response in the pre-transplant period, in fact, does matter for the post-transplant results in patients. So this was a situation which I suspect will not be that uncommon, where people receive therapy that is being effective, but the patients still don't have the depth of the response that perhaps one would want to have in a pre-transplant setting. So the question is, you know, is that a reflection more of the biology? Should we do something more with the therapy, trying to get a higher quality of responses, or not, then that's when we first became acquainted with this individual. So what were the options that you were thinking about at that point? Well, it turns out that this person was very, very active and actually has been not very keen on going to the stem cell transplant. So we said, well, you know, we can do one of several things. We can go ahead and just continue with the RD. There is some good data, particularly from Ruben Zvisky, saying that if you continue patients over the long term, the quality of the responses will keep going up. So I guess that was one of the possibilities. The patient could be treated also with a combination such as RVD. And I think the presumption would be that the bortezomib will add on our ability to induce a better quality of the response or try to push him towards the stem cell transplant. Again, with the caveat that this patient is actually not very keen on moving to stem cell transplant. And the comment that is on top of all of these considerations again, is that if one is to consider the land over a longer period of time, there is an issue about what time should one consider the collection of the stem cells. And I guess when we asked the respondents, the most common thought was to add in bortezomib and I guess go to RVD for several cycles and then go to transplant. What actually happened? Well, so, you know, this patient, we had a long discussion and the patient was actually switched to the RVD combination. And he did have a you know very good response, and the stem cells were harvested. The patient, obviously, now being exposed to the bortezomib, had an issue which was actually the peripheral neuropathy. So that became a problem with the patient because, you know, despite his good response now, he had peripheral neuropathy. And then we went on and we collected the stem cells, but the patient at this point declines to go on the high-dose malflon. He's, again, very active, has a great life, feels good, actually was not symptomatic at this point with the exception now of the peripheral neuropathy. So he proceeds with stem cell collection but then declines moving on to stem cell transplant. How is the neuropathy manifested? I always try to emphasize that the best treatment for neuropathy is always prevention. We have used a number of agents to try to ameliorate the symptoms. Whenever we treat neuropathy, it's always treating the painful component you cannot treat the sensory component. And I think that's an important point. So people use things such as gabapentin or the Lyrica for the treatment of some of the symptoms. 
We have had in some cases, and I think in this particular case it did help, we've used a topical cream that is actually mixed by an apothecary that contains ketamine. And actually that has been quite helpful in some patients. You know, we combine that with clonidine and I think they combine it with xylocaine. But it's a bit of a dissociative anesthetic agent that in a topical fashion has helped some patients with painful peripheral neuropathy. And I think it helped him some with his symptoms, but it was really time that allowed him to recover more from the painful event. So what was the next step then? So patient collected stem cells and based on the fact that he was responding to Len and that he did not want to go to stem cell transplant, we actually went back to the original treatment. So we put him back on chronic Len treatment and he continues to do well and is recovering from his peripheral neuropathy. Any other comments about his case? No, I think he poses a unique challenge now, which is a young individual who doesn't want to go through stem cell transplant, who's aware of the literature and and realizes that Len is a reasonable option, which makes really our discussion the more challenging. And, you know, he's a very smart person and I think we're doing fine, but it's probably something more and more we're going to see where patients are going to question whether, even in the younger crowd, whether everyone should go through the stem cell transplant as frontline therapy. I do say that even as a non-transplanter, I think transplant still is a key option for patients with myeloma. But sometimes, as was the case in this particular individual, we opted not to do that. 